0: We are part two of my conversation about pet food and DCM with Dr. Ryan Yomka and Nikki Kamik. So, as I'm evolving with this podcast, I'm noticing that uh, the whole conversation about pet food can be seriously intimidating, which then creates this uncomfortable and defensive space. So, I'm hopeful that the information provided here will help you have an enriched level of understanding of your ability to choose what's best for you without the algorithm, marketing, and opinion traps that we are surrounded by. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Here we go. Retailers and consumers are quick to forget when i think back to the melamine fiasco my store was open two years i had one of the brands on the shelf and it was innova and i was shocked i was like god they make so many claims they're so much better than everybody else and then we have avengers um they just are under new management now and um new management being the kids as opposed to mom and dad who ran the facilities, right? And they're marketing differently and they're buying ad space. We are really, really quick to forget and easily manipulated. You're saying that we should be diligent on top of everything for the well-being of the animals that we're selling to, but we're not. And neither are the manufacturers. What do we, so who do we trust? I mean, if I was to close my store tomorrow, I have to come to your store to buy anything because I don't trust anybody. I'm kind of screwed. I'm an hour and a half away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like,
1: he I'm could like, ship like, it to you. <laughs> thanks,
0: thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it.
1: You could swing by my house on your way up.
0: I think,
2: um, you know, when we're quick to forget, Avengers is a great example. I see so many retailers that, you know, I, re- I respect the people very, very much, but I almost want to shake them a little bit. Because what it tells every other manufacturer is, eh, if you screw up and kill a few dogs, it's okay. Um, it, it shows them that there's no consequence for not following their own procedures or for breaking the rules or for, you know, not being transparent or, you know, having deceptive practices. Um, I, th- yeah, um, I, I really do believe that, it, you know, I mean, we're, we're phasing out earthborne. Um, you know, we never carried any of the rest of them, but we did do a a fair amount. Um, you know, not anything that I would, you know, be concerned about at the end of the year, um, you know, in terms of numbers wise, but, you know, we did a fair amount for the size store that we are. And, you know, so that makes me question, yes, it was one plant as of right now, they Mm -hmm. weren't following procedures. They were bringing in Bad ingredients and sending out bad product, but were they not following procedures in their other plants? Um, were they doing the same things in their other plants? or is that recall going to get bigger? Were they cleaning their machinery? Were they cleaning their storage bins? Um, you know, there's so many questions, and you know, being the being that um, you know, I take it personally when you know things like that happen, um, and I don't want my customers and my clients, animals eating that type of of thing or, or being exposed to something that could potentially hurt them or having, you know, our reputation hurt. Um, Yeah, we're, we're going to cut it out. And I think, you know, there's already a few people that have been like, how could you do that? It's such a staple product. Well, we did it with taste of wild. We did it with from, um, we did it with a few others. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. And I mean, to be honest, the customer reaction, when you do that, it, they're thankful Sure, you might lose one or two, but guess what? They come back. All those taste of the wild and from people, they came back um, because they realized that the, the industry has significant issues and they're thankful when there's somebody that speaks up to you know things that are, are wrong um, or that are potentially risky. And I'm not afraid to do that. And I know my staff isn't afraid to do that.
0: Price runs a lot of this and marketing runs a lot of this. How do we educate... Marketing. Yeah, marketing sucks. It's marketing.
1: But
0: how do we... First of all, the, the retailers and the consumers have to come together, and we need to start asking questions of these manufacturers. They seem to not... They want to put the responsibility on retail, and consumers want to ask the vets, and the vets have their view, right? A lot of views, um, and also they're overworked and exhausted and burdened with emergencies and yeah, student debt and the world. So there's a lot of things happening and we can, put the, we can start pointing fingers, but in the end, the responsibility falls on the consumer and the choices they make for their pets and what questions they're asking. They need to become knowledgeable and and ask questions. And then the other one is the retailers need to not pass along shitty information, which a lot do. They put out there the work. I mean, some of the crap I hear, I said, you know, my eyes will fall out of my head, you know, the more I hear. Yeah, but you, think
1: you think they're working for the company versus yeah. for their own store.
0: Exactly. But that goes along with the vets, you know, add rice. so,
1: Please, so, so, give so me the,
0: something to do here. Yeah. yeah
1: so so the one part. thing I, I would say is um, for an easy start, um, because right, obviously everybody has a shit ton of product in their store from a lot of different manufacturers uh, obviously some the retailer believes in some they carry just because they know those one or two people are going to come in and buy that bag of food and so they, they keep them right but the, the the first and foremost thing is is all the ancient grains foods that are coming in and being peddled by the distributors and and the manufacturers right the question that should be asked before that even comes into your store is, okay, well, what was wrong with your grain-free food? Real simple question, right? And if they can't answer it, then why would you bring in their ancient grain food? Because they're not gonna be able to answer what's the benefit for that outside of marketing. And if you actually look at published data for ancient grains, it's no better, and in some cases worse than corn from a digestibility standpoint. Um, So all you're doing is paying for a premium grain when it it comes down to it because of, uh, uh, it's not a big crop, right? It's not a cash crop for a lot of places. And so from the learning of the DCM stuff with the 16 brands, which unfortunately, I felt like I was the one fighting for them instead of them fighting for them uh, with all the talks I've given, is that that should be the first question is, what was wrong with your grain-free food? And better yet, if you believe there is something wrong and I need to take on your ancient grain line, you're going to buy back this food right so i can make room to put you there because i'm not going to give you more shelf space because you left me hanging two years ago um, and and there has to be accountability from that standpoint because what happened was and, and that's why you know it all comes down to melamine came down to lack of transparency dcm came down to lack of transparency ancient grains which will probably be an issue at some point will come down to lack of transparency. It's As soon as DCM and people started reacting to grain-free, all of a sudden, it, ancient grains was everywhere, right? And, and I can tell you, when you do that many line uh, extensions, they're not doing their homework before it goes out the door, especially when they're going out that quick, right? Because oh, if, you think, yeah. if you think about normal turnaround time for a nutrient analysis for AFCO, is typically about three weeks long. It's usually for vitamins, is what takes the longest out of there, right? So, probably why Hills wasn't sending out for vitamin D. They weren't going to wait three weeks to, you know, to make sure their premix was good, is probably the judgment call that was made there, a bad one, although. Um, and then digestibility is another 10 days. So, for argument's sake, you're talking about a month, right? That is just you doing your homework before just on pilot batches before you go and ramp up and commercialize that product. How many of those companies came out with a product in like less than three months, <laughs> right? So I can tell you, a you don't know enough data just on nutrient variation in lots different lot codes of those ancient grains. Never mind different production runs with those ancient grains in there and how they behave on your animal. Um, and so. Those are questions that I I think the retailer deserves to get an answer from is, okay, so what was wrong with your grain-free foods and why did you go to ancient grains? Now, I would totally understand if they went back to, or they've said, hey, I'm cool with brown rice and oats and stuff, there's plenty of data on that, right? This doesn't mean they shouldn't be doing the proper testing there either, but why would you go to a totally new ingredient when supposedly the new hot ingredient, which, I would argue it's not new and hot, grain-free, is what just caused you the issues, right? It's, it, you literally jumped from out of the frying pan into the fire on this one. Um, and it has the potential to do exactly what DCM did because it all came down to lack of transparency, right? Again, if people would have said, here's my digestibility, here's my taurine and carnitine analysis, uh, it would have debunked a lot of that stuff. And then instead everybody remained silent because they probably don't have it.
2: And I think, uh, Ryan, you have uh, articles on, I believe, pet food industry, but also on Noble site. And then I have some as well, just highlighting all the different questions you could ask. I mean, there's a million of them, um, but I think your articles go over five um, that are pretty straightforward. I tend to get a little too technical, um, but his are pretty straightforward um, because mine are more written for, those articles for me are, are more geared toward the retailer, like the why behind it. Um, but he's got some really good ones for the consumer.
0: Okay. All right. I'll make sure I post that information so both the consumers and the retailers can look at all this. Um, Ryan, you keep talking about digestibility. Digestibility. And then Nikki tells me how every nobody's willing to do it because it's an animal rights issue, an animal well-being issue, and testing on animals issue can we get to the point here? Why are pet food companies not doing digestibility profiles and how, if if I can bring this back to DCM. Sure. Could that have helped in getting the facts out about DCM if, if brands were doing digestibility profiles?
1: Yeah, more importantly, pub- publishing them. Right. And so, um, obviously I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't, if I didn't follow it, but at least with our products, um, we obviously do all that before it goes out there, but more importantly, we publish it on our website. Um, another company that started doing it and um, you're, we're starting to see uh, the smaller companies react positively to it um, is Bigsby. They're doing it as well. They're starting to report their numbers uh, as well as a few others. Um, some are hiding behind some of the numbers by giving you a crude protein digestibility and not total track, which crude protein is always gonna be higher. Um, so they would rather pick and choose that one, but we show everything. Um, and it becomes important because that's going to tell you, um, in essence, gives you an indicator is are those nutrients going to be bioavailable to the animal, right? And uh, there could be lots of reasons why that it's not, right? It could be the form. So for example, in corn, Uh, Phosphorus is tied to a compound called phytate, which makes it unabsorbable to the animals. So that phosphorus that's in phytate form in corn and soy really doesn't count as phosphorus because it's not available. And sometimes it'll actually bind other minerals. Um, But it, it also becomes important to find out, okay, well, if I'm using a meal, like lamb meal, chicken meal, whatever, Well, that already gets ultra processed by heat, right? And has heat damage and things that go on. And then if you put it in kibble, it goes through that as well. Well, it gives you an indicator of, you know, after I go through all that processing, are those nutrients still going to be available? And more importantly, um, you want to analyze your uh, product at the end of production to make sure what you predicted is what you actually ended up with. There's lots of nutrients that are heat sensitive that do get lost. Um, There are also lots of nutrients, um, in particular, that when heat hits them, they'll combine, uh, in particular, the Maillard reaction, right? If you think of the browning effect, like sugar cookies, right? You get that caramelized sugar. Um, Same thing goes on with with meats and sugars to give that roasted aroma. And so what happens, though, is when that lysine binds to that sugar, that lysine is no longer available. And so... Things like that become important, and you know, people if they weren't doing digestibility, they could easily analyze for available lysine versus total lysine. There's benchtop analysis for that, um, but it becomes important because not only are you testing and saying, "Hey, my food is doing what I, it should be doing from a nutrient standpoint," but you're also delivering it and showing it in an animal. Now, the people that go, "Hey, I don't want to use a third-party testing facility." Fine, five, find six, eight employees and dogs and feed them for 10 days in the last five days, measure their intake, collect their poop and send it to a lab and you can do it that way. There's lots of ways to get around it and saying it's an animal welfare issue is literally just bullshit. It's, you can do it in, in a home setting in that case. Um, the numbers will probably come back a little higher because obviously not everybody cleans up poop perfectly off of grass, but the reality of it is, you know, you're probably off by a few percentage points that you're not going to see a huge shift. So if you you run an at-home study, you get 70% digestibility, well, your food has a problem, right? Just like it does in a lab setting. Um, So it's a very good indicator and people tend to react as if it's an animal welfare issue where the reality of it is all the consumers are picking up after their dogs every day. Uh, We're performing many digestibility studies literally every day if you own a dog. Um, same thing with cat right one, one would argue is hey you switch out clay litter for plastic beads and and you can do it that way um, so you don't have clay contamination so there's lots of ways to get creative with it and do it um, when I was at hills for example um, they used to test every food going out the door for feline urine ph well I ended up with all the data that they had coming in I ended up developing and publishing uh, an algorithm that predicts feline urine pH. So they wouldn't have to test every food going out the door. And, and the formulators could actually formulate to a urine pH right then and there on the screen and then obviously verify it in analyticals. So there's lots of ways that you can you know go after the three R's or refine, replace and all that by thinking differently. You can run if you needed to, wanted to, you can run a glorified AFCO study from home if you have you know, a benchmark colony to go with, but you can surely go, hey, you know what? If I'm not sure about this new protein source or legumes or whatever, um, you could certainly do it and just involve a vet clinic and have the blood pulled there like you do a chem screen and everything else. So there's lots of ways for people to do it. They choose not to. <laughs>
0: Nikki's nodding her head, yes. They choose not to, she knows. Um, so if, if these, digestibility profiles were done by these um brands that let, let's say let's throw a con in there because that came at top of the line in dcm right yeah like pork yeah. and whatever formula was like squash right um mm-hmm. would that have shown us uh where this food was lacking if it was really that
1: well, for starters, I can tell you that <laughs> that one study that they ran um, that said that got published at Pet Food Industry that says, hey, we ran a six-month study and everything's hunky-dory. That wasn't the food that the FDA had in their report. It was actually an added taurine version of that food. Um, so what they did was they went and they added taurine across their portfolio. And so again, it's, it's very misleading to people if you didn't know that. Um, What they should have done was tested their uh, control food, old Acana, Acana plus taurine, right? To see if it mattered. Instead, they had control food, Acana plus taurine. Um, So, you know, not knowing what I don't know, it it looks like you're guilty because you never addressed it. You just simply added taurine and moved on with your life. Um, But if they were looking at and analyzing for taurine levels, they would have said, hey, you know what? Maybe there is an issue here. Or maybe they would make a large breed version, right? And add more into it. Um, there's lots of ways they could have handled it better. Um, they, they, they just didn't handle it. Um, and you know, nothing against Canada, because that's where our food's made. Um, great people, but uh, you know, people in the US are emotional and vicious when it comes to stuff like that. And I think they were hoping that, you know, we were gonna have the nice, chilled-out Canada <laughs> demeanor. And obviously, that's not how it went. Um, and, and even talking on this subject at VMX, uh, I could tell you they had security guards waiting outside my presentation because people were writing into the president of NAVC complaining about me presenting and everything. And so, uh, and that was veterinarians. So even the professionals, it wasn't, you know, people storming the capital type mentality um it was oh in, in theory professionals but um it, it's it, was, they're just it, being because wrong?
0: That, i mean do they, they don't like being wrong is that is that why they were angry
1: oh they right. just you know as i call it you, you they drank the kool-aid you know um okay. it's, it's you know i i have nothing against hills they taught me how to become a great scientist and researcher and 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 do things in theory the right way um, now whether people like their food or not you know that's up to them but I don't apologize for that because they taught me how to formulate and, and do the stuff that I do um, and obviously I've learned a lot more since then um, but you you have you you have firm believers in that just like you do in the raw world right and uh, as I always joke around it's like you want to have a nice night out and drinks don't talk politics religion or dog food um you know it's because it's it'll turn into an argument or the other one I use is if you're ever lost in the woods just say dog food and somebody will come out of nowhere to argue with you um it's (laughs) it's just yeah it's the reality of it it's just um and that's that's what happened you had real firm believers that you know hey here's a reason to trash everything that I don't want to say they don't know they didn't take the time to know some believe that you know, when you enter the market, you need to go to the veterinarian and ask for approval, um, which is bullshit, right? And, and some will tell you, well, Blue Buffalo or whoever's just a marketing company. Well, I got news for you. Hills and Preen and all them spend a lot more marketing to veterinarians than Blue was doing to consumers. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people don't realize that type of stuff. But to answer your former question about why aren't a lot of companies putting all this data out there—it's um, very simple. If you have a big portfolio, and you have one food or two foods that stink from a digestibility standpoint, they don't want you comparing within their product because you might it might bastardize a product that's selling really well. And so you, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the question that you know I always struggled with, and, and fortunately when you do your own startup. Um, you don't have sacred cows, and you can build the food the way you want to build it, and off you go. Well, we started with the premise of why does a product have to be 90% digestible only in a therapeutic food? It, it should be for that, for a regular over the counter in the retailer food. Why should I have to wait to? you know, have GI issues before I have a highly digestible food for my dog, which from an ingredient standpoint is no different than the -the over-the-counter stuff. There's no meds in it or anything. And so those companies can formulate even with kibble because I did it for Japan, a 90% digestible or better food. They just choose not to. And they wait till you get into the therapeutic category and then they charge you more for in essence, the same ingredients, but a higher Mm -hmm. digestibility. Um, And so they're not going to publish hey what is my leading brand food out there because when you get to compare it and let's say you know for argument's sake if i was using blue as an example if lpf my grain food is highly more highly digestible than wilderness my grain free food and, I, and if i'm making better margins on this guy uh, i'm not going to let my <laughs> grain food bastardize my my paycheck right and so um so they might give it to you on each individual food but will they put it all out there so you can see every food like what we're starting to do the answer
0: is no so Nikki I mean there's a lot of expensive foods in our stores expensive kibbles you know a 15 pound bag at 70 80 bucks that's not cheap (laughs) I mean it's close to the price of what therapeutic foods are so
1: Especially if you knew how much that formula cost, <laughs> I can tell you. Me.
0: I know you can tell me pennies, I, pennies per pound. But
1: yeah.
0: so, I mean, why is there? I, I, this is these are just dumb, redundant questions. I keep asking the same thing, and we're going to wind up in the same place. Um, there is comfort that the consumers need to have and there's a comfort that the retailers want to give but how much of it is real and how much of it is perceived
2: a lot of it's perceived uh, a lot of it's marketing because I'll tell you if some of those companies with oh gosh 70 80 bags of food that are 15 pounds actually gave you data uh, you wouldn't want to pay that money for that food anymore I'll tell you that right now Uh,
1: And and if you think about it, you you know, and this is, and this goes back to your short-term, you you know, short-term memory comment that you made earlier, right? And the one thing um, for people that were in the industry, unfortunately, I was and had to make calls when I was at Hills Outbound was the melamine recall, right? It's like, what did that show us? That canned food was the one co-manufacturer was making canned food for the entire industry, whether you're paying 99 cents a can or $4 a can.
0: Yes. And it was
1: using the same wheat gluten coming from China. Well, I got news for you. That hasn't changed. <laughs> <But> <laughs> menu you pretty- sold to Simmons, and Simmons owns it all now, mm-hmm. but everybody is still using them, whether it's a private label grocery brand or your super premium canned food, unless they have their own plants. So um, they're and- using
0: the same lamb... As you know, like this brand is this brand that's low on the totem pole of, you know, being looked at as a great food um, is using the same lamb meal as this other brand that makes major claims and puts a lot of money into marketing.
1: Yeah, the the example I go back to is, you know, I'll use the 16 brands graph, right? Mm -hmm. That everybody wants to say, hey, you know, Perina and Mars are great, you know, they're Rosavo. Well, Neutro and Merrick were both on there. (laughs) <laughs> right? And I think Crave was another one that snuck in there. And they're both owned by Mars and by Perina. Right. They don't go, when they go buy peas, they don't go, hey, this is Merrick's peas and this is our peas. You go buy your volume for the year because that's how you're going to get the cheapest price, right? So I'm not going to buy special peas for Merrick that are going to cost me a buck a pound versus crap peas. And I just say crap as an example for peas for Perina at you know 60 cents a pound they're going to buy peas and get it all at 75 cents a pound right it's Um, about
0: emerging synergies and cost reductions
1: economies of scale i mean classic business model right um and yeah and if you look at it like most pouches most cups most cans and tubs unless they own their own facility it's going to be coming out of sin there's a reason why you see in, in in um recent press releases, they're growing here, they're growing there, because they, they really own a monopoly on that, unless you have your own canning facility. And the other thing to point out too is, uh, if, if, right, and this is the, the one I, I always get people tripping over, Perina and Mars truly thought that grain-free was an issue, they should get rid of all America, all of Neutro and all their grain-free lines, but they haven't. yeah, yeah. And, and more importantly, if they cared about DCM, where's the announcements for all the funding they're putting into DCM research? There isn't. They're building plants like crazy, though.
0: <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, you hit some really interesting points here.
1: <laughs> right? So it, it, it is what it is. Unfortunately, I know a lot of skeletons for a lot of companies and where the bodies are buried uh, because it's a small industry. But that's the reality of it. Why would they let it go on, right? Um, and, and the answer is, they wouldn't.
0: Nikki, what are you telling your uh, your customers? Um, all these skeletons. <laughs> and you, you and I have uh, have late night text uh, rampages where we talk about how much we hate things. Um. <laughs> so, I mean, now
2: we, I would say. It, we, we still get some, um, we still get some people coming in. A, l- a lot of times they're newer customers because our current, um, engaged customers are well aware um, of what's going on. There's a lot of new pet owners. There's a lot
0: of new pet owners. Yeah.
2: So when they come in, I mean, we've, I've got my articles printed out up front. I've got uh, one of Ryan's up front um, that he most recently did. You could probably link that one as well. Um, and I give them Ryan's and say, Hey, listen, give this to your veterinarian. And then I have mine for them. And I'm obviously welcome for them to read both. But, you know, in essence, we summarize it and say, listen, the FDA said that, you know, they have not found any definitive link. And instead, you know, they've walked it back a little bit. And, you know, there's just no nothing in the data to show that grain free food is causing this issue but if you're worried about it, these brands are doing their due diligence. Um, If you wanna feed a grain inclusive, that's fine. I respect that. Um, These brands are doing their due diligence and we approach it that way. Um, And I mean, we really don't get any pushback. I I would say it's incredibly rare to have somebody walk out of our store because they didn't get
0: a Wasava brand. What about as a buyer, you as the buyer? Um, when you're going to the distributors or you're you're looking at products. What are you looking for? I mean, I know know you have all this information and the articles you've written, but give me an overview of what the retailers that really don't want to do the research, but do you want to kind of do good and have better products in their stores and differentiate themselves? You know, the ones that are like, eh, okay, I'll do it. You know, that kind of mindset because I need to kind of be there but I don't care because there's more of those than not
2: so I have an article up on our site um, I think it's five questions and so what one of my team members and I did um she's actually awesome she's a god bless her um in the middle of of corona she's an ICU RN uh she's super sharp um she's very much into human nutrition and very much into animal nutrition and she helps. So You've gotta me out. give her
1: a shout out. You can't just describe her and not say who it is.
2: <laughs> no, I won't say her name. I won't say her name. Um you don't want somebody to
1: steal her. Nice.
2: <laughs> she, she, no, no, she's locked out. Um, no, so what we did um, earlier this year is we reached out to every company that either has been or is on our shelf, and we asked them those questions. And she put everything into a nice little spreadsheet. And so I, I had her do the initial reach out because a lot of the companies know me um, and they roll their eyes. Okay. So I had her do the initial reach out. And what we found is that, you know, like Ryan said, the majority of our indie brands do not do their due diligence. There are some that do, and when you push them enough, they will tell you. I've been on some Zoom calls, um, you know, propri- with their proprietary data, um, and there are some that do, and there are some that are are making strides to do better, which is awesome. I respect that. I will stand behind you. Will carry your product as long as you continue to do better. Um, and then, you know, obviously there are brands that are not. Um, what I would say is. Ask, reach out to those, reach out to the brands that you carry and ask those questions, push them because some of them would surprise you. They do have data if you push them hard enough. Um, And then you need to let them know that you support them in putting that data out there and that they need to, um, because those are the brands that are going to help make us better. Those are the brands that are going to push us forward. And those are the brands we as indies should be leaning into, um, not the ones that aren't doing their due diligence or aren't helping us out got it wonderful
1: and the reason we put ours when we make ours public um is twofold one's not only well, from a yours
0: tr- is let's let's be clear what yours is you have noble foods and it's a freeze dry diet
1: correct um and and ours w- the reason we did it as a, a single page print out it has our ingredients has our digestibility percent of calories where it comes from obviously all the nutrients and then some Uh, on dry matter basis but we also put it on a thousand k cows because that's usually how the vet talks but um, we put that out there so when the conversation does come up our consumers that buy and use our products or feed our products to their dogs they can print that up and say okay what are you recommending and how does it compare to this Um, and it typically shuts down the conversation very quickly um, because at that point it's no longer you know Well, this brand hasn't come to me. They see that we've done our homework um, and then off the go. And and we actually took it a step further with the transparency as we even list our ingredients and country of origin as well Mm -hmm. as packaging origin. Um, And so You know, with us doing that, like I said, you're starting to see, and and based off a lot of the articles that I've written about the importance of digestibility and talking about it with all this DCM stuff, you're seeing other companies that are starting to come out and do it. Um, Obviously, they're the smaller companies because they get it. Obviously, they also recognize or believe that they are making a better food or a better kibble. And so that's a great way to demonstrate it, right? Because numbers don't lie. Um, numbers are numbers. Um, and unfortunately, and, and I don't like to beat up on companies because I'm a firm believer in educating and not advocating a brand or humiliating somebody for what they feed. But unfortunately, you've seen recently with Champion, right, biologically appropriate. Oh, well, no, that's a puffery statement, So you can't come after us. Well, that isn't what the consumers and the retailers thought, right? hey, farm-raised fish or uh, fresh-caught fish when they're all farm-raised, right? And free-range chicken where they weren't free-range. It's like all of a sudden they're getting dinged on all these lawsuits and they're coming back and finding out, hey, they weren't doing what they're doing. And coincidentally, you know, their transparency council that they were touting about and then doing press releases for no longer exists. Um, This
0: is why they go into Petco. No one asks any questions of Petco.
1: Yeah. Well now, Chewy too. They they're back on Chewy, but um, okay. Oh
0: well, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> That's And I don't carry him, so.
1: Yeah, but it's it it just goes to show I have you. Two
0: bags. I do have two bags. I got two clients. They buy it. <laughs> yeah,
1: but but it goes to it goes to show you that you know it's really a buyer beware, and not only does the retailer have to literally become the expert for what they carry but the consumer also needs to do their due diligence and become their own pet's advocate. And, and by you know, simply going through those five questions, whether you're a consumer or you're a retailer, it ends up putting you in a position to make a yes or no decision on bringing that product in. And the, and now you're forcing that manufacturer to go do the homework, because if they realize a lot of people start saying, I, I don't have digestibility, I don't have typical nutrient analysis. well. I'm not carrying you until you do, well, they know they're gonna to have to go do their homework. And once retailers start pushing back and consumers start pushing back, the behavior will change. Will it change for the big three? No, because you know people grocery store aren't looking for that type of information, right? Uh, unfortunately, they're in a different uh, mindset when they buy food, they're assuming it's good. Um, obviously they're looking for value in those locations. Um, but the people who are shopping in your stores really deserve all those answers because why pay $75 for a 12 pound bag of kibble if they can't demonstrate why it's better than, you know, the 80 pound one for $10. Um, and, and so that's just the reality of, of how how it goes. And I think in light of DCM, um, it's, it really falls on a retailer or the manufacturer to say, how am I doing things different? And this is why, and here's my data, here's the proof, because that's what, that's where the smaller companies get dinged. Right. And mm-hmm. and not to pick on the raw category, but I'm, I'm going to in this comment is we know, right. All the benefits of feeding raw, right. We visually see it. There's lots of anecdotal data, but, where's the science to prove it, right? And that's usually where that part of the industry to freeze dry and the raw and everything else that falls in a minimally processed falls apart because they've run out there, they push out product, people feed it, it works well, we all know it works, but you know, figure out how to run a study, work with somebody to do it. You know, you can easily, it's not hard to do a digestibility study. It's easy, it's 10 days, it's three grand, move on. Um, and so that's something as simple as that is a great way to demonstrate the benefits of feeding raw versus whatever. Um, and then obviously you can do, um, marketing studies or questionnaires to say, hey, you know what? 90% of people feed our food, see a shinier coat in 30 days. And Mm -hmm. you can start backing it up based off of consumers that come in and doing questionnaires. So there's no reason why people can't do it. They just choose not to.
0: So they go around the actual studies and they go right to the marketing and they, they put all the money in marketing. A lot of food companies are running around on social media and putting all their claims out there. And, and a lot of
1: them are drug claims. So sooner or later, they'll get nabbed, nabbed on that. Um, it's no different than some of the claims you see with the CBD companies getting jammed up. And, and that, they'll get jammed up. It's just a matter of time and how big they get. Once you get to a certain th- threshold, uh, the, the big three gorillas usually start sending anonymous letters in to the FDA and states. And so um, they'll be on the radar. Uh, sure. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. But, but unfortunately, those... Big three on the pet food side um, are adding to the problem every day.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, they they definitely have more marketing power, right? And uh, one that cracks There's me up. Lobbying
0: power as well. I mean, if they're sitting there at the table along with the rest of the Afco representatives and FDA and the USDA, I mean, they are sitting there.
1: Oh, you got they're lobbying on Capitol Hill too, because you got to remember who they're owned by, right? They're they're big chocolate companies, and and and. Uh, toothpaste companies, so they have lobbyists as well. So outside of traditional, let me be on this trade organization, they got boots on the ground as well in, in places that matter. Um, the one that'll be interesting to see play out is how Mexico announced they don't want any GMO products coming into Mexico anymore, right? And, and most people are not savvy enough to know this, 90% of the corn, 90% of the soy, and about 80% of cotton seed um, which doesn't matter from an eating standpoint for argument's sake, but the corn and soy that's produced in the U.S. 90% over is GMO. So right now, the Pet Food uh, Institute, is the trade organization, is having an oh shit moment. What does this mean about U.S. product that we're shipping to Mexico for pet food? Because mm-hmm. it could have implications there.
0: Okay, yeah. And Mexico is such a huge market for pet food. All of a sudden in the last three years, the Mexican market just skyrocketed for pet food. So what does this all mean?
1: It's a big deal. I and mean, think about it, right? If if they hold everybody accountable and the U.S. has to reinvent the wheel, I'll call it. So get rid of GMO, and go back to natural, right? Because it's like, and I go, you know, when people say, fresh food and minimally processed food, there's not much data around there. Well, where, was, where who was feeding kibble before kibble was invented in the 30s, right? And the reality of it is we're, we're not inventing a category, we're reinventing it, right? It's, it's like we're literally reinventing the wheel. It was already made, we're just going back to our roots or back to basics, if you will. Um, but with the corn crop and the soy crop for them to do that it's going to take it's like a three-year turnover to get rid of all the GMO and to put in none and plus yields and all that stuff will go down so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: So Nikki are you gonna um, stick it out and Pat? Uh we're gonna see. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. All right, this is the reason why I have Nikki on all the time because we're. I I believe that if we are repetitive, because every single time Nikki you're on my uh, on my show and we talk, digestibility comes up, and of course Ryan today, Uh-oh. and digestibility comes. Up. It is such a key for every one of these manufacturers to hear this over over and again. If we keep sorry, I'm going to shove it down your throats. I'm not getting paid by anybody. And that's why I like doing this. And I want the consumer and the pet reta- retailer to kind of wake up and start questioning what's going on. Right. And this is why I love talking to you, Nick, because, you know, you just put it out there. You're no bullshit person. And, <laughs> Not not many of you around, uh, and, and Ryan. Well,
2: I mean, here's the thing, right? How many retailers, especially in the wake of you know DCM COVID, how many retailers do we see and hear every single day that are bitching and complaining that they have so much work, they can't keep up, they're tired, they're exhausted, their business is going to fail if they have one more bad thing happen. If you step back and just do your homework, your life. And workload will become so much easier. The answers become pretty clear about you know what products you need to carry depending on your philosophy, and how you stock your shelves and how you do your ordering, and you know the, down to the staff that you have and how you delegate those tasks. I mean, my workload uh, in doing that over the past couple of years has just become amazing and the store is more profitable. Um, our customers are happier. We're growing, you know, all of those things, all of those things that I see people complaining about um, if you just step back into your homework.
1: And the, the key thing is too, is, uh, and I, I think, a, you know, a lot of people become victim of the bigger distributors. When I say people, I mean, retailers, right. Yeah. right. Um, as them being experts, they're not, they're salespeople. They're no different than salespeople coming from, a pet food company to to talk to you and get on the shelves. But the, the reality of it is, is you shouldn't marry one brand or one company, right? Because when they do have that aw shit moment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not only will you look bad, but you won't have product to sell. Um, and so it's important to, when you're building out your portfolio um, and even distributors got jammed up back in the day, when IMs pulled out from third-party logistics groups, right, they all were about to go bankrupt until they relearned that, hey, I need an assortment. I can't rely on one or two. Well, unfortunately, they're relying on one or two right now. Um, So they're repeating history uh, for whatever reason. And maybe Champion going back to Chewy will change some of that mindset. Um, And Nulo going into other store formats and claiming, you know, it's different. Um, That might change their mindset. But the reality of it is, is, they have to do their homework and make sure the people that they're bringing in are good. And you know, I always say start dating the brand before you bring in the whole portfolio because if they can't answer questions for their core uh, foods, they're sure as hell not gonna be able to answer it for all the others. Um, and so that, that becomes something that people should ask and they don't have to ask it as a, hey, do you have one through five? And if you answer all five, no or yes or whatever, that means you come in. It could be, okay, what are you doing from an analysis standpoint? At the bare minimum, they should be analyzing their dang foods um, because otherwise you could be creating deficiencies or toxicities really quick, right? If they say they don't have digestibility data, maybe you say, okay, that's, I forgive you on that, but when are you gonna have it? Because that's only a 10 day study, right? And if they say, okay, I'll go do it, have it by, you know, end of the quarter, well then hold them accountable for the end of the quarter right and then once you start doing that and asking the questions right so i bet you if you were to ask i would be surprised that they are but that midwestern pet food facility that got jammed up with corn well hey that's great you have all those standard operating procedures in place but are you third party certified by an outside group for food safety And there's lots of organizations to do that. The the manufacturers we work with, that's our requirement for us to work with them because not only is it saying, you're doing right when you make my food, but you're doing right on everybody else's food. So I don't have to worry about you shutting down for whatever other reasons, right? Or having a blemish. And so that's a requirement on that. Um, And then some of the other questions, who formulated your food, (laughs) you know? Those are all basic questions. I mean, it. it, it's everybody has the same story while they got into the industry, right? Right. My, my dog had cancer. My cat had cancer, got sick or was lethargic. You put them on this food and ah, it's a miracle, right? We, we all got in there for the same reasons, but it doesn't it doesn't give you an excuse to not do your homework to get a food app in the marketplace. And yeah. and complacency
0: that, is, is one of the worst things that we do when it comes to food.
1: Yeah. Your homework
0: and, differentiate.
1: And if people remember, it wasn't that long ago, maybe it was, but it was it in the 90s? Lamb meal and rice were causing, was causing issues, right? There was no legumes in that, <laughs> right? It right. was just poor formulations that weren't validated. Um, and then quick, and people quickly added taurine to them for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, you look at melamine, you look at DCM and you look at what's probably gonna be the, whatever the next debacle is, it comes from lack of transparency. Um, and companies need to be more transparent.
0: And just to round this up and complete this conversation, since we started with DCM, yeah.
2: where's the data to support whatever claim or whatever position? Uh, that's what I would look for. Where Where is the evidence to support that position? And, if and, that's reg-
1: and that's regardless if it's DCM or anything else. Again, I'll use biologically appropriate again as an example, right? Where- right where Champion believed it was a puffery claim. And I can tell you the consumers and the retailers didn't see it as such. Um, So, you know, and one of the things, at least what we did is um, not only do we have a short ingredient statement, because obviously we're not adding synthetic vitamins and minerals, but people talk about that as being a clean label. Um, uh, For us, clean label is we don't put structure, function, and puffery claims on it. We're a firm believer in, in um, feeding is believing Um, and so if you actually look at our packaging even though we have tested proper taurine levels and carnitine levels you're not seeing me guarantee taurine for a happy healthy heart and silly ass claims on front of package that just confuse people and there's no wolf on our packaging either Um, but you'll see and more importantly you'll see what we are as a company not what we're not so you're not going to see a bunch of ghostbuster symbols of you know all, all the bad ingredients that are bad ingredients today we'll, we'll tell you it's freeze dried, it's made in canada it's patent pending and we're uh certified b corp pending and that's it
0: a question about your brand um when you coming out with cat and then the other one's a comment congratulations you have distribution now through gen pet in the northeast so congratulations thank on
1: you. That. thank you um yeah so right now uh we're, we're working on cat hopefully for probably a summer launch as Yay. well. Um, Obviously treats are easier because we know that the cats like our meat treats. Uh, It's just cutting down different size. In fact, we got lots of images with cats with their heads in the treat bags, which it doesn't matter. It's the same ingredients, just different cut. Uh, But we got a lot of positive feedback on our bars. The cats were actually eating them and we actually have videos of the cats guarding the bars to keep it away from the dog. Um, So we're working on them uh, now. It won't be in a bar format. Um, it'll, it'll probably be like a little pellet, but, uh, what we plan on doing, um, to keep it consistent with the daily portions of like the bar, um, we're going to do daily portion packs so we can help fight obesity by saying, cause most cats in theory are eight to 10 pounds, it'll be, Hey, this is what you feed them every day. Obviously, if you have a Maine Coon, you probably need three of them, but, um, <laughs> for a normal size cat, it'll be daily portions. And we actually did, um, Prior to it with the bar, when we did acceptability testing, um, we were, at, were a little shy of 90%. Uh, put that in perspective, most dry foods, you're lucky to get like 50. Um, so the cats are digging it and, and it makes sense. I mean, our products are um, 85% meat. And then when you get finally get to the the veggies, everybody says, oh my God, chickpeas is on there. It's the fourth ingredient. And I'm like, yeah, but it's included at 3.6%. So it tells you where all the weight is uh, up from the meat and the livers that we're using.
0: I mean, we have to fit, feed the uh gut bacteria, right? Doesn't isn't that part of the reason yeah. why you have that in there? I mean, it's,
1: yeah, I mean, you need you, you need was- some fiber. You need some fiber in there to feed the gut and obviously for proper uh stool formation. Okay. Um, you want some stuff to pass out. If I went for 100% digestibility, it'd just be weird. Actually, uh, wrapping up digestibility testing this week on on the cat. So fabulous,
0: it. good. I can I can't wait because my cats are assholes. But <laughs> I will let that go. Thank yep. you both so much for being here. And I know we went beyond DCM, so I think I'm going to call this Beyond DCM, DCM and Beyond, because it brings it all back to um, us being diligent and uh connected with the choices we're making both as consumers as retailers and hopefully as veterinarians and scientists that we look beyond just what's on the surface
1: it, it's nobody should be afraid to ask questions and have open dialogue i mean that's the reality of it and if if they don't want to answer it then you got a question should you support them um, and that's obviously a, more of a philosophical discussion than it is anything else
0: well thank you both so much nikki thank you Thanks again thank for you i appreciate it ryan you're amazing dr ryan you had to say it again sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> this sounds weird thank you
0: It's wonderful thank you both so